This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be here today. Happy that I don't have to watch any more of what happened Wednesday night. We're going to have a lot to get to in a little bit. Andrew Kramer, Vikings writer from the Star Tribune, will join me in just a little bit to talk through a lot of what Rick Spielman said on Wednesday and some of the biggest storylines of the Vikings offseason. But first, what did I miss? Well, you missed Zach Parisi getting benched. You missed Carl Anthony Towns getting frustrated. And you missed the Gophers getting blown out on the road yet again. And I think we need to talk about all three of those games because... It was one of those nights in Minnesota sports where it wasn't just that they were these three teams were losing, um, and we've had those nights before, right? They, they kind of tend to come in, in threes. You get a really bad night. Sometimes you get a really good night. feels like the bad nights happen more often than the good nights, at least in, in a big cluster like that. It wasn't just that these three teams lost. It was just that I feel like we reached a point with all three in those moments that I just mentioned all three somehow in one night reached a sort of crossroads in their seasons and maybe even beyond that. Let's start with Zach Parisi getting benched, a healthy scratch for the first time in his wild career, ostensibly going back to the game on Monday night when he stayed out too late on a final shift, gave a excuse for that uh, in Wednesday's pregame availability. Let's listen to that really quick right now before we get into the whys and whats of everything. Well, it was disappointing, um, and, and I don't I don't agree with the decision. Um, I asked Marcus after the second if he ever had a hat trick, and um, he had had two up to that point, two two goals at that point. I said, "You ever got a hat trick?" He said, "No." So I said, "All right, let's go get you one." And then when they pulled the goalie, um, we were on the bench, and I said to him, "Like, if, you know, if I get the puck, get up ice with me. I'm, I'm not going to shoot. I'm going to find you." And we were out there for a little bit, um, and Marcus had a little break. Um, and I made the decision to try to join him to help him. They ended up getting the puck, um, and I saw him. I saw him change on the back check, and I didn't think it'd be a good idea for me to change too. So I stayed out there. Um, and unfortunately, it was you know it was, I guess, the ultimate backfire um, that you know they ended up tying the game. But um, you know, I know, I know, I know. In my heart, I was, I was, I had the best of intentions. Okay, first of all, sorry. Uh, no, those are not the best intentions, uh, Zach Parisi. Your, your intention at the end of a game has to be one goal, division rival. You're trying to win, not to get a teammate a hat trick. I understand that's a nice kind of finishing touch on a game. Maybe if it's a two-goal game and it's a little bit deeper into the uh, empty net situation, you can try that, but that is not a good intention, and that is a poor excuse, in my estimation, for, for trying to stay out on the ice and, and ultimately costing your team the game. But what we have here is bigger than just that, right? It's, it's Dean Evason and probably in tandem with general manager Bill Guerin coming to a decision and saying, Zach Parisi, if we're going to have this team culture, this team-first culture where everybody is held accountable, we need to bench you in this game. We need to show that you made an, a, a big enough mistake to warrant costing you your spot, at least temporarily. So that's what happened. They make that decision. Parisi doesn't agree with it, says he doesn't agree with it, doesn't really, basically, I don't think he owns up for his mistake, at least not fully. He says teammates have his back, doesn't agree with the decision. Um, so right now you've got, a, you've got a point, right? The wild, you know, a few hours later, go out and lose 5-1 to Vegas. You know, again, they didn't play terribly, got off to a slow start, third period they're pushing but 5-1 is the ultimate score so there you go is this a point in the season where 
you look back on it and say that this was a pretty big deal where it, where Zach Parisi, the benching of Zach Parisi, whether it was warranted or not, and I think it was, does that become a dividing point in the locker room? Do, the, do his teammates look at that and say, well, that, that was that was too far. You don't you don't you don't you didn't have to bench him to prove your point. Um, or does this become a rallying point? Was this just a one game thing? Does Zach Parisi come back stronger? Does the team buy in more to the Dean Evason, Bill Guerin message of everybody is accountable. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen going forward. What I saw was a 5-1 loss on Wednesday, and I worry that this could come back to bite Dean Evason. This is a team that had won six games in a row, you know, right before the, the, the gaffe by Parisi at the end of the, uh, the, the Monday game. Is this a point where the season turns, not only because of what Parisi did, but by the decision that was made to bench him, right or wrong? You know, Parisi has had a lot of sway in the Wild organization since signing that free agent contract in the summer of 2012. Um, I don't think he's used to being treated like this. I don't think he's used to someone saying, uh, no, you, you don't get to make all the rules right now. I think another player who maybe falls into that category is Timberwolves center Carl Anthony Towns. He's had, this, he's had the franchise largely built around him, particularly since Jimmy Butler was traded away uh, two and a half seasons ago. Wolves are now 7-29, and 29, limping into the break, a badly needed break. Everybody agrees with that. They lose 135-102 to 102 to Charlotte on Wednesday night. And after that game, Towns was asked about the frustration and the losses that have been mounting. Here's a little audio clip of that answer. I'm tired of looking at the box score and seeing all these numbers come talking about the same thing that we haven't won and oh we gotta do this we gotta do that I mean obviously what we said hasn't worked so we gotta we just gotta keep going back to the drawing board and seeing if the next plan worked and uh, just see what happens now listen this team has endured a lot in the first half of, of a short season already, right? The illnesses, the injuries, a coaching change. Towns has been through a lot. He's clearly frustrated. He said as much. He wants this break to happen, which is going to happen now. They get a week off to recharge. Chris Finch, the new head coach, has now been blown out four times in his five games. All losses said that, you know, basically called that game unacceptable and promised changes when things come back next week. Well, like, guess what? What if they don't? If they don't, we're starting to see the beginning of the end, I think. This is this is Carlton Towns' patience can only be stretched so far. This team is four and thirty-one in the last thirty-five games he has played. Where is the breaking point it, it, it in that? Where where do you stop seeing any kind of hope for the future is the question. And you know, going into this break, you can't see much. One of the pieces of subtext in this game that was particularly alarming and discouraging. Two of the top three picks, right? Anthony Edwards, um, number one overall pick. The Wolves had their choice of any player they want. Anthony Edwards goes 8 of 23 from the field, gets 19 points, goes 1 of 10 from three-point range, minus 24 in the game, and an extremely inefficient game for Anthony Edwards as he tries to figure things out in the NBA. Number three pick, LaMelo Ball, 19 points, seven rebounds, five assists, two steals, a plus 25 in his 26 minutes for Charlotte. A stark contrast. These players will not be judged by the first half of their first seasons, but everybody who objectively watches right now will tell you LaMelo Ball is ahead of Anthony Edwards. Maybe that's not where the race ends up, but that's discouraging right now. If you're counting on this future getting better, you need Anthony Edwards to be part of that. And right now, 
it doesn't look like they made the right decision. That you know, two years from now, that could be a completely different story. But right now, that part of it needs to change as well. Last thing, we need to talk about the Gophers, albeit briefly, 84-65 loss at Penn State. They finished the season winless on the road. Um, just a completely baffling statistic when you when you really think about it. But no wins on the road. This win, this one is more predictable than than sad. But a 19 point loss. Let's just put it this way: Our Marcus Fola reported earlier this week that players in the locker room after that loss at Nebraska got the sense that Richard Pitino could tell his tenure was coming to a close. We don't know what Mark Coyle is going to do at the end of this season. They got one more regular season game Saturday against Rutgers, and they got the Big Ten tournament next week. We don't know what's going to happen when the season ends. But here's the thing: if you went into Wednesday night's game unsure of what you might think is going to happen. Uh, or if Mark Coyle is still watching, saying, I want to see how this team responds to some adversity. Um, a 19-point loss at a bad Penn State team will reinforce your opinion in only one direction, and that's that this will be a change at the end of the season. So I don't know, again, that's if that's for sure what's going to happen. It sure seems like it's leaning in that direction, and it really feels like Wednesday night's game only cemented that opinion. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. Glad to be joined right now by Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. He was in on the Rick Spielman sessions, uh, sounds like, on Wednesday and uh, has some good information kind of on the Vikings offseason planning and where they are at with, you know, kind of with all things uh, cap related and, and, uh, you know, roster decisions. Andrew, welcome to uh, welcome to daily delivery. Hey Mike, good to be on with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked thousands of times. I feel like on access Vikings, but now the the turns have tabled. Have they not Andrew Kramer? (laughs) The turntables have, have turned. Yes, they have. (laughs) Um, So let's, uh, let's, let's dive right into it. Cause I thought the Spielman stuff was pretty interesting. What are, you know, maybe we can start with overall takeaways um, from, you know, from, from his availability Wednesday as they, prepare for the start of the new league season in a couple of weeks here, financial season, at least, you know, with free agency, where are they at? You know, they already made the the Kyle Rudolph move earlier in the week to, to cut him and free up some cap space, but what's your big picture sense of their direction and some of the tough decisions they had coming up? Yeah. As anybody knows who follows along um, with this time of year in the NFL, these kind of general manager sessions with writers and reporters, there's not a whole lot that can typically come out of them because they can't talk yet about other free agents. They can't yet talk about legally these plans that they want to go sign all these other players and do the things they want. But there was actually a lot to discuss with Rick because there's a lot of stuff to do on their current roster and the guys they can talk about. And you know Rick Spielman, he wasn't going to cut a vein about business decisions or Daniil Hunter or what they're going to do with um, the long-term outlook with Kirk Cousins. But there's a lot that you could glean from it. And he basically came out and said, there are going to be a lot of tough business decisions this team has to make. And it started with Kyle Rudolph on Tuesday of this week. And that's what it is. It's financial decisions on these are contracts they signed a couple years ago. In Rudolph's case, it was exactly two years ago, thinking the cap would be at a certain place. And it's about 20 to 30 million lower than that. Now the official number is not coming in yet, but the Vikings are operating under the assumption it's going to be at the floor 
that the NFL set, which is 18 million below what it was last year. That's a huge dip. That's the difference between having a Kyle Rudolph on your roster and then a $10 million offensive lineman, potentially. These are things where they're going to have to make decisions on guys like Riley Reef. Can they afford and come to terms on a negotiation with him to keep him under contract um, and at, a, at a number that they can stomach and afford? Um, Harrison Smith as well is a guy who's due for an extension. I don't think they're going to cut him necessarily, but can they get that extension under contract in a way that works? The guys that they're going to cut, though, that, that they could cut are guys like Dan Bailey, veterans like Shamar Stefan. Um, some of the veterans that you probably think are have underwhelmed to this point and probably deserve to be moved on from at this point. But then the guys that they would like to resign, they might not have the money to. And Eric Wilson, Anthony Harris, two un unrestricted free agents. Um, I think the clearest thing that Rick said was um, that they basically can't afford three high-priced linebackers. And he said, let's say we can't afford to resign Eric Wilson. Well, not that's just that's the kind of thing he floats in conversation when that's a reality. They're not going to be able to. Um, and I think people look at their roster and say, well, just cut Anthony Barr, do this, that, X or Y. Mike, the sense that I got is that they're going to keep a lot of this core together. They're going to try to keep Daniel Hunter together, have Michael Pierce come back in and, and really make his first impact on this team at nose tackle, bring back Anthony Barr off the pectoral injury, keep the core together, and then try to kind of patch things around that. And so that's why I don't think we're going to see any big shocking moves, like moving on from an Anthony Barr. But you're going to see these tertiary guys, these, these kind of guys on the exterior of their core um, that they have to make tough decisions on. Big shocking moves. Uh, people did ask, I don't know who asked the question, but he did get asked about Kirk Cousins and the swirling trade rumors and, and kind of how that floats out there. But cap-wise, an extension makes more sense than a Kirk Cousins trade. Where, where do you think we are with that? And what did, what did Rick Spielman have to say about the Kirk Cousins speculation right off the bat? Yeah, he unequivocally said that Kirk Cousins is our quarterback. And it's, it's funny because I immediately got, you see pushback on social media, people saying, well, they said the same thing about Stefan Diggs, Percy Harvin. Uh, well, he didn't actually. The, the operative phrase was always, we have no intent to trade these people. And that was the thing that kind of followed both of those wide receivers that they eventually traded. I haven't heard a single thing, nor have the Vikings said a single thing that should make somebody who's paying attention believe they're actually going to trade Kirk Cousins. There's been a lot out there. There has. You, you brought up the Peter King uh, theories and articles that keep coming up. There are a lot of reputable, smart NFL writers who keep throwing that out there. But the Vikings themselves have only stopped short, like Rick Spielman did today. He only stopped short of saying that Kirk is our quarterback for the next five years. He basically just said he's our quarterback this year. He's our quarterback moving forward. That kind of rhetoric and I, again, from everything I've heard, I don't think he's going anywhere. And as you said, an extension makes more sense in terms of financially like they did last year. They had to buy themselves some space by extending him. That allowed them to tag Anthony Harris, which wasn't necessarily a great move, but it did allow them to also sign a Michael Pierce who could help them this year. This year, though, can you do that again? Do you want to do that again? And I think it's a legitimate question and one that Rick didn't necessarily answer in a straightforward manner beyond saying that just Kirk is going to be the quarterback moving forward. But they are in an interesting spot because if you don't want him to be the quarterback moving forward, you have to start thinking about these things now. And Rick said, we look at all scenarios. We look at all possibilities and avenues at quarterback. But right now they're clearly banking on Kirk being the starter this year. And I don't know if we're going to see an extension for him because I do wonder if they're looking beyond Kirk Cousins at this point. Yeah. Cause I mean, the number this year is 31 million and that's, you know, 
It's it's a big number that was always going to be somewhat problematic. The real problematic number is 2022, and it's a $45 million cap hit. Almost certainly won't play uh, that season under that number. I would have a hard time imagining that. But you're right. I mean, the extension is a tricky thing because if you do it, you're committing to more years of Kirk Cousins. If that's not what your long-term vision is or you know how you want to go eventually, if you want to go cheaper and draft a quarterback eventually you can't just keep giving Kirk Cousins extensions and so that's kind of the uh, you know the the now versus later uh, question that they have to ask themselves uh, you know a lot of other interesting things I, th- I thought from from that session Daniil Hunter another one you, you, you know you missed all of that all of the 2020 season with the the neck injury what where do we think we're at with that and in the discussion of you know wanting to be the highest paid player at that position and you know maybe uh, Spielman dousing a little bit of water on on that topic as well yeah Spielman did want to talk about Daniil's Instagram he didn't he didn't want to talk too that much surprises of- me that's surprising. I, thought, <laughs> I think Rick is a big Instagram maybe he wants to talk about Daniil's TikTok not his Instagram I think he wanted to just talk about Daniil looking like Daniil again and that's that's what the Vikings are hoping for they're hoping this guy coming off Next surgery, coming off a herniated disc, that injury that he had had that they didn't really find out the full severity of until later. They're just hoping that he can come back right. And right now he's looking like he is. He's training down in Texas. He's putting out videos that the Vikings and that Spielman wanted to bring up to kind of show as an encouraging point of like, hey, we have visions of this guy coming back just the same and being that kind of player for us. He wouldn't talk any kind of business about Daniel Hunter or the contract, but he did say that when asked, because there was that report back in October. It was kind of an outlier. It, I think it was from NFL media, and it just said something along the lines of that Daniil wants to be one of the highest paid defenders in the NFL and wants that contract addressed. If you look at it, rightfully so. Daniil's paid way below market value of what he should be getting paid. It sounds like he might want to be in that Bosa range, which is like almost $10 million more a year than what he's getting now. So there is a gap between what he's getting now and what he might potentially want. And Rick had just said it hasn't been communicated to him in so many words that Daniil wants to be paid in that kind of a range. It's probably going to come to that point in which they need to make this right. We have seen the Vikings do this with players before. We've seen them do it with Adam Thielen. He wasn't up for a contract. He just outperformed his contract. And a couple of years ago, they came back to him and said, here's a deal basically right up to Stefan Diggs' contract. Um, the Vikings don't have that kind of barometer anymore. They did with Everson. When Daniil and Everson were there, they could kind of keep them on the same deals, keep them happy. And that kind of binary system worked for them. They don't have that right now. And I, if Daniil is changing a little bit in his approach to this and saying, look, I'm going to get mine now, that could be a problem for them. And I know my colleague Ben Gessling has, has uh, reported in the past, this was months ago, but that the Vikings don't have really any hope of getting into some kind of financial issues with Daniil, that they would resolve whatever Daniil comes to them with. But if you believe Rick, Daniil hasn't come to them with anything yet, at least to that extent. Um, What we've seen though, in terms of what we've heard in terms of his recovery, it's been good. It's been what you would want to hear at this point. They just need to get him back on the field and talking to coaches, they still have no idea when that's going to be. Yeah. It's interesting too, because, you know, everybody wants to get paid, you know, but with, you know, the cap going down so much it's harder to it probably threw a lot of their plan a wrench into a lot of their planning right because they, they've been a team that's pushed themselves right up to the cap but kind of walk this line where they're able to keep most of the guys they want to keep keep this core together and you know when someone needs a bump they've been able to do that but when the cap goes 
down that much and you have a disappointing season like they did last year, things kind of naturally seem like they're going to come to a head in, in some circumstances. Not everybody can get paid right now. No, and there's going to be guys like, there's one instance, I mean, look at Mike Hughes. Mike Hughes is an, a curious case. He's entering his fourth year now as a first round pick. Um, typically, this would be the year that he'd be going for a contract extension. You'd be thinking fifth year option. You'd be thinking kind of payday, but he hasn't lived up to that status in the first round. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. And I found it pretty interesting that Rick Spielman was asked two different questions about Mike Hughes, uh, about the fifth year option. And then just, do you have any confidence that this guy can be an NFL starter still? And Rick, no commented both of them. And to me, that says a lot. So do they cut him? They could save a couple million. Do they just go ahead and just make the decision right now to move on from a young player who's really talented just to save that kind of money? I mean, I think those are the kind of tough decisions they got to be weighing right now. A couple more things for you. The Kyle Rudolph release, we, we briefly mentioned that. That's not a surprise. Very coordinated because Kyle had a Players' Tribune story that came out like 10 seconds after the Vikings press release. So he he knew it was coming. I think it's probably more of a courtesy than anything to see if he can latch on with someone else in, in free agency. But, you know, his, I don't want to just brush past his 10 years here because it was, a, it was a pretty good run. What, what, what did Rick Spielman say about, about Kyle Rudolph and you know, what were your, how will you remember the, the time that he was here? Yeah. Speaking to his importance too, because as you mentioned, longest tenured player, 10 years, um, a 2011 second round draft pick. I mean, that just doesn't happen very often, but Speaking to that importance was the fact that the Wilf ownership reached out to Kyle after they released him. And, and you don't see that happen with a lot of players that get cut. Um, and so that was all part of it. And, and the reason he was the first domino to go was exactly that, is that they want to do right by him, allow him to get out there at least somewhat ahead of schedule to try to map out where he wants to go. Because the sooner you get released, the more teams you can talk to, the bigger your market is, all those things. Um, he leaves, he does, he leaves an indelible mark. Um, on the Twin Cities and on this franchise and kind of what he was able to do really stamped too with that touchdown catch in New Orleans and to win a playoff game on the road. That was kind of the exclamation point on his tenure. It was his seventh touchdown catch of the 2019 season. He had just one last year. Um, he just It just kind of faded out, fizzled out. And, and you could tell Kyle was frustrated behind the scenes, but publicly you wouldn't have been able to tell. And I think that's that's kind of who Kyle Rudolph was is that yeah, he's going to be vocal behind the scenes, but he's going to put on a good face. He's going to be professional. He's going to do all those things to, to be right by the fans and the organization. And he ended that Players' Tribune piece by saying, we'll see you around Minnesota because he intends to stick around here uh, and keep his family here. And uh, I think fans should be happy to hear that because I think he's one of the good guys um, that, sh- that you've seen kind of come through this Vikings locker room. Expecting to see a story from you Sunday's paper on Clint Kubiak new offensive coordinator, former, uh, you know, formerly the, uh, the quarterbacks coach. What, what did you learn about Clint in, in your reporting and, and what, uh, you know, what, what, what should we look for in that story? Yeah, I enjoyed doing that piece because not only do you like kind of spending time actually digging into somebody's background and, and getting to take time on a story, which you don't get to do during the season very much, but just learning about Clint a little bit, because yeah, the, the first impression is, Gary's son, that's why he got the job. All right, you know, move on, you know, on to the next one kind of thing. Like, there's nothing else to see here. Except there was a lot. I mean, there was a lot. I talked to Kevin Stefanski. I talked to Gary Kubiak. I talked to Clint, obviously. And I talked to coaches that were on the staff in 2013 in Minnesota um, when he first got on here, when Kevin helped get him hired. 
And then as well in 2015 at Kansas, when he was 0 and 12 on a Kansas staff for one year and kind of what that kind of year could teach a guy. Um, I, I think though the headline and what I took most out of it was how much he's influenced outside of Gary Kubiak. And I think so many people will sit there and say, he's going to run the same playbook. Yeah, he will. But a lot of that might be because of Mike Zimmer, not necessarily because of Clint Kubiak. Uh, I think Clint loves his father's system, likes everything about it. He's like-minded with Kevin Stefanski about how that's how he'd like to run an offense. However, he's gone through four different systems under a bunch of different coaches outside of the family playbook. Um, From Kevin Sumlin to Cliff Kingsbury to Norb Turner to the West Coast schemes under multiple coaches, he's done so many different things that I think he can really put a, a unique spin or touch on it kind of up to the point that he's allowed to under this head coach. And I think that's the biggest surprise to me. It might be the biggest surprise to readers is that this guy is well-traveled. His, his father basically told him, you know, you need to go work for other people. You need to make sure and prove not only to me, but prove to the rest of the NFL and, and the football world that you want to do this. Like, this isn't just going to be a, you know, I want to follow dad's footsteps. Let's just go do this. Cause I know I have an easy foot in the door. You know, he made him go grind it out in at, uh, graduate assistance jobs, quality control jobs, not with him on staff. And there's parts of that story that I think people will find interesting about how he navigates being the coach's son, um, how other coaches viewed him. I had a coach on the staff in 2013 for the Vikings tell me, yeah, I had a negative perception. I thought, here's this guy walking in, you know, has, has the world handed to him on a silver spoon. But it's almost like the Arthur Smith deal out in Tennessee where you wouldn't know who this guy's dad was if you didn't know his last name. And so I think a lot, I heard so many coaches say that about Clint. And I just, personally, I've done so many of these stories. Mike, you know, when when the coaching staffs change over, you do a lot of these. There were a remarkable amount of people who reached out to me wanting to talk about this guy and had so many good things to say about him. I look forward to reading it and uh, look forward to, Circling back with you soon, both for this podcast and on the Access Vikings podcast as well. Andrew Kramer, great stuff. Thanks for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. Yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. Hit me with a hot one. It's been a little while since we did a hot take here. We got one from Keith out in North Carolina. I believe he goes by Rocket. Cousins and Zimmer are functionally the same problem for the Vikings. Both are above average at their craft. However, both manifest deficiencies that make it extremely difficult to overcome their limitations. Cousins' cap hit makes it difficult to pay for enough talent on the rest of the roster. Zimmer's philosophy lacks creativity and creates too many scapegoats. Somehow, they deserve each other. I think this is true, and I think this kind of gets to the fundamental problem of what's really gone wrong in the last three seasons since Kirk Cousins has been here. And again, not all of it has been bad. They, they won eight games his first year, which was a disappointment. They won 10 games and won a playoff game in 2019, which, you know, starting to feel like the ceiling of what they can achieve uh, under, you know, under the, the, the Mike Zimmer-Kirk Cousins pairing. They win seven games last season. So at this 25 wins, you're basically treading water over the last three seasons. So what went wrong? Well, basically, here's the thing. I think Rocket is right. You've got an above-average coach. You've got an above-average quarterback. You think when you pair those two things, the synergy of them you know, combined you know, makes you even better. I don't think that's happening in this case. I think he's right that their deficiencies are kind of canceling out some of each other's positive tendencies, and it's not ending up as a as a uh, you know above average plus above average equals really good it's it's above above average plus above average equals average more or less and i think 
two things can be true at the same time. You go back to 2018, Kirk Cousins was the best quarterback on the free agent market. No doubt about that. If you look at it just in a vacuum, he was the right decision for the Vikings. If you look at it in the context of Mike Zimmer, he wasn't the right decision because I don't think Kirk Cousins is the right kind of quarterback for what Mike Zimmer wants and what Mike Zimmer needs. And I think that's been the biggest push-pull that's played out over the last three seasons. Let's end with the cooler guy. Can we talk about something positive? The whole the whole show um, necessitated, you know, by what happened Wednesday has been fairly negative or news heavy, fairly pretty heavy. Go to StarTribune.com if you would, because the Star Tribune has inducted six new members into its Minnesota Sports Hall of Fame, headlined by Natalie Darwitz, the great, <clears throat> you know, one of the all-time great hockey players, and Chris Dolman, uh, one of the Vikings greats from all time. Um, part of the part of that class, Kevin McHale, part of that class as well. Go go look at the virtual ceremony on StarTribune.com, please. It's it's a 21 minute video that will give you some positive energy to carry through the rest of this Thursday. Really looking forward to Friday's show. Harmar Superstar will be with me. Story in the variety section coming out on Friday as well. So read that in the Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. Megan Ryan, new Twins baseball beat writer, will also be with me on Friday's show. Thank you for listening as always, and we will catch you again on Friday. Thank you.